All right, please open your Bibles to Proverbs 24. <clears throat> We're doing a series, if you're just joining us, on the, the wisdom of Jesus. And the Proverbs are just setting the stage for, for really what, what Christ tells us in the gospel as he uh, shares his wisdom uh, to us. So, so you'll find us frequently in uh, Proverbs, but uh, by using that as a springboard uh, to, to look at the gospel through the eyes of, of Jesus and the wisdom of the kingdom of God. So, yeah, let's stand in honor of God's word. I've just got two verses this morning, verses 21 and 22 in chapter 24. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both? We pray. Lord, give us the wisdom to fear you, uh, and in fearing you, uh, to give proper honor and, and respect and fear uh, to those who rule over us. Uh, please get glory in our hearts as we learn how to live uh, as citizens in this country, but primarily uh, and fundamentally as citizens in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Uh, it's been a tough week for Joe Biden. Gets elected president of the United States, and Bernie Sanders is upstaging him. And I, come on, uh, yeah, let's talk about politics. Now, now you're getting uneasy. <laughs> so last week we were talking about, um, in all your ways, acknowledge him. You know, he'll make your paths straight. That's our, been our. We're praying uh, Proverbs three this month. We're we're incorporating that in our worship. We're trying to. Uh, to remember the importance of knowing, knowing the Lord in, in all of our ways. Last week we were talking about money, like knowing the Lord and, and how we look at and view and spend uh, the money that God gives us. And, and acknowledging the Lord in all our ways includes uh, just how we view politics, how we look at our country, how we view our own citizenship. And, and those things are not something that we... Uh, that we keep outside those doors because of some, you know, separation of church and state. Um, we, we need to, to have the wisdom of God so that as, as sons and daughters of our king, you know, we, we can view politics properly, okay? So strap in, and Kyle, I do pray that your prayer is effective <laughs> for my sermon. All right, let's look at verse 21. Uh, it tells us to fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. And uh, we're going to look at a sampling of some Proverbs that have to do with the king or, you know, the ruler, the, the one who is in uh, executive authority over us, right? And, uh, and here we're being told to, to fear the Lord and the king. Um, and, and we know from other places in, in Scripture that we're not to have equal fear for both, um, the fear of the Lord usurps the, the fear of the king. But nonetheless, we're, we're to fear both, right? And so this does seem like a, a given for us. We're not to join, you know, it says do not join with those who do otherwise. So we're not going to join with those who do not fear the Lord and who not, do not fear the king. And as Christians, we go, yeah, sure. We're supposed to fear the Lord and fear the king. We get that. Check the box. 
So in, in the eyes of Solomon and of, of the Proverbs, like to not fear the Lord and to not fear the king is not just foolish, but it's like foolishness squared, um, doubly foolish to, to not fear the Lord and to not fear the king. And so we, we, we take that lesson away from verse 21. Let's just follow that thread. So we're, we're to fear the Lord and the king and not join with those who do otherwise. And, and so that would mean do not also... Join with those who fear the king, but who do not fear the Lord. And as Christians, we go, well, of course not. You know, we're supposed to fear the Lord prim primarily. That's the, the foundation, the beginning of wisdom. And, and don't join with those who you know, have all kinds of respect and honor, deference toward whoever's ruling over us, but who could care less about the king of kings and, and the lord of lords, you know, who ignore his words, his governance, and um, don't give a time of day to our creator and our king. So don't join with them. And we go, well, well yeah. So first two categories, don't join with those who don't fear the Lord and don't fear the king. They're not going to join with them. Don't join with those who fear the, the king, but don't fear the Lord. We're, we're not going to join them either. Uh, so what about the third category? Do not join with those who fear the Lord, but don't fear the king. Don't join with those who fear the Lord, but do not fear the king. So, you know, we, we all agree we're supposed to, to fear the Lord. But, but here, we, we sometimes stumble. As Christians, we sometimes stumble because... Like, are there times when we shouldn't fear the king? Or should we always fear the king? And, you know, how, how does that work? So um, I'm going to just give you a little glimpse at what's uh, a study that the Pew Research uh, Center did, and, and it was last year, and it had to do with uh, our political divide in the United States. So the title of the, the article is America is Exceptional, right? We know we're exceptional. We're Americans. Exceptional. We are exceptional in the nature of our political divide. So that's the title of the article. The first line, first sentence of this study says, Americans have rarely been as polarized as they are today. Like I'm, I'm wearing blue and gray. By accident, or, you know, we just got done singing "You're Sovereign Over Us," so he, the Lord knew what we were doing. Uh, so maybe in over a hundred years, it's you know it's been since we've been this divided. Americans have rarely been as polarized as they are today, and so um, this study was uh, done last year, 2020, and it and it revealed how to the pandemic, um, how COVID, has revealed how pervasive the, the divide in American politics is relative to other nations, like compared to other, you know, first world um, countries. We're talking like France and Spain and Italy and Germany and Japan. And like, like we are at the top of, these, uh, of the study that compared us with 14 other industrialized nations in terms of our political division. So, uh, here's, here's what the, this uh, research revealed. So over last summer, summer of 2020, 76% of Republicans, and, you know, and even this includes 
uh, independents who would lean po uh, politically Republican and politically conservative. 76% of those felt that the U.S. You know, had done a good job in dealing with the, the pandemic in, in America. And they compared that 76% with the 29%, you know, just 29% of those who, who don't identify with you know, the Republican Party or conservative politics. So, so in answer to the question, do you think you know, the Republican administration has done a good job of handling the coronavirus, 76% of Republicans and conservatives are saying, yeah, yeah, and compared to the rest of the country, 29% saying, saying no. This is huge divide, 47% gap, you know, is the largest gap uh, found between those who, who support the, the governing party and those who do not. So across those 14 industrialized nations. So, so anyway, uh, that's an example in this article to, to basically support the thesis that supporters of Biden and Donald Trump believe that the differences between them are about more than just politics and policies. A, a month before the election, so this was you know, October of, of last year, roughly eight in 10 registered voters in both camps, Republican and Democrat, eight in 10 said that their differences with the other party were about core American values. 80% of voters believed that the differences between the two parties were about core American values, you know, and, and thus Americans have rarely been as, as polarized as they are today. So, you know, you, uh, you know the the statistics, I'm sure you, you've heard that, you know, 75 to 80% of, of evangelicals voted Republican in uh, the, the previous election, and seems like that number is consistent for last year's election. So considering that 75 to 80% of evangelicals are, are voting red, like what happens when a Democrat is in power? among evangelicals. Like, how do we view that ruler? How do we view a, a blue administration? Like, we're supposed to not join with those who do not fear the Lord and who do not fear the king. But, well, well wait a minute. What, what, what about a, a, a blue oval office? You know, how, should we fear that, that ruler? Should, should we give the same deference, the same honor, the same respect to, to Joe Biden? Like there's this sense of, is this, maybe this is optional. You know, if we didn't vote for them, maybe I don't have to fear them. And, and that's not what the Proverbs tell us. Fear the Lord and the King. It's not optional. It's foolish, right? It's the, the wisdom of God is, is in Proverbs. And so if we're going against that wisdom, we're, we're embracing foolishness. Therefore, it is foolish not to fear God and the King, no matter who is in the Oval Office. And I know that maybe you're going, well, I don't, you know, I'm chafing. I, I, I cognitively get it. I, I, I see the connection, but it just doesn't feel right. Well, how did it feel to those who, who, who got the Apostle Peter's first epistle? You know, the, the original letter that was circulating through Galatia as Peter was writing in, you know, in chapter 2, he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, 
honor the emperor. Nero. Like, what? Peter? Honor him? Really? Yes. Yes. It, it, it doesn't mean that you, you know, become this silent, um, just, you know, cog in the system, the political system. It doesn't mean that there aren't you know, times and places and appropriate ways to stand up for truth and protest what's wrong and, and so on. But, but fundamentally, it's this posture of recognizing that all authority, Romans 13, has been instituted by God. And so our attitude toward whoever's ruling us is a reflection on ultimately our attitude toward God. Is God wise or not? in his administration of who's in, it, who's in the ruling administration. All right, so verse 22 says that disaster will arise suddenly from, from them. And if you don't fear the Lord and the king, here's what's going to happen. Disaster will arise suddenly from them. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both, right? So King Solomon's making it clear that uh, that those who are foolish enough to dishonor and resist the Lord or the king should expect to be held accountable. And, and this is why in, in Romans 13, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, <clears throat> this is the correlation with verse 22, therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So a little glimpse of you know, the wisdom of, of God re- regarding our rulers, you know, how we're to regard those who God has placed over us. So, so um, let me just go from here to, to this whole thing of like the king that we want and the king that we get and the king that we need. So this, this is just set us up to talk about the king that we want and the king that we get and the king that we need. So nobody wants a king who's going to champion what we dislike and we don't want a king who's going to condemn what we, we hold dear. We want a, a king that's going to stand up for what's important to us. This is the king that we want. And so let me take a moment and just review some other Proverbs that speak to our relationship with our rulers. You know, and, and as people who have the Holy Spirit, you know, who, who are, our hearts are more and more beating in line with, with God's heart prayerfully as we're going, being more and more sanctified, we're going to look at these Proverbs and go, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. So for instance, Proverbs 12, 24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule, you know, will be an authority, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. You know, so maybe that would be a good verse to look at again when we get to the wisdom of our work. Um, but anyway, when it comes to rulers, some people prefer leaders who emphasize you know, personal responsibility, they, they, they like uh, small government, they, they balk at like the nanny state. Um, and so, you know, looking at Proverbs 12, 24, the slothful will be put to forced labor, like the hand of the diligent will, will rule. And so uh, we want a nation that rewards hard work instead of, you know, coddling the, the lazy or the indolent. And so, you know, you, you look at that verse and you go, I want a ruler who's going to affirm that. 
I want a booming economy. I want lots of job growth. I want a, a king who's going who's gonna to commit himself or herself uh, to this, right? Um, and, or, or how about another proverb? Uh, Proverbs 20, <clears throat> verse 8 says that a king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Another kind of parallel verse in Proverbs 29, verse 2, says when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. So we want, we want a king who's going to reward hard work. We want a king who's committed to a robust economy. You know, it's good for everybody. A rising tide lifts all boats. And we want a king who's going to winnow all evil. We want a, a king who's going to, you know, let righteousness increase so that the people will rejoice. We don't want a wicked king, you know, the people will groan in, in that case. So lots of people, you know, the thing that they want in a ruler is a, a strong moral center. Like we want a king who understands very clearly what's right and what's wrong. We want a conservative who's going to be tough on crime, who's going to fight injustice and and so on, right? That's, that's the kind of king that we want to see you know, rise up. So we don't want a ruler who's going to disrupt um, traditional values or promote what's sinful or what's disgraceful. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we want a king who's going to affirm the, the dignity of the unborn. All human life has dignity. Un unborn human life has, has dignity. We want a king who's going to stem this, this bloody tide of abortion. Uh, last week, I think, was if, if I heard it right, I don't remember, is it the anniversary of the first diagnosis of COVID in our country or is the, the first hospitalization, something like that. But you, you get the idea. So it's been a year. Uh, and how many, how many people, how many COVID deaths, how many COVID-related deaths are there? I, I recognize that the number can be fuzzy based on how you're calculating it. But I think sort of a general consensus is that we've reached 417,000 COVID deaths in our country in one year. It's almost half a million people. The latest statistics from the Guttmacher Institute, it's a liberal think tank, pro-abortion think tank, doing the research, tallying the numbers of abortions each year. Latest numbers come from 2017. About 850,000 abortions happened in 2017. Take all the numbers of people, all the numbers of Americans who have died from COVID so far, double it. Double it. That's how many abortions happened in 2017. So yeah, we want a king who's gonna champion a good economy, champion hard work, and we want a king who's gonna champion what's right.
and then what's wrong? How about, how about some more um, Proverbs about the king that we want? Uh, Proverbs 29, 14 says that if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Why? Why, why is it important for a king to faithfully judge the poor? Because God cares about the poor. God is compassionate toward those who are defenseless, who are at the mercy of those in power, and so on. So, you know, in this case, you know, these are the people who prefer a king who's compassionate, um, who recognizes that there are things like systems that trap people in poverty, systems that, that, that contribute to misery among the population. There's exploitation of women, exploitation of children, exploitation of immigrants. And, and God says that it's a, a good king is going to come to the defense. He's going to rally behind the defenseless and the voiceless. And he's going to, going to create you know, assistance and give a hand up so that people can get back on their feet. And then he's going to uh, prosecute those who are taking advantage of those who can't defend themselves. Uh, and so we want to, they, a king who's seeking to help the poor through these, these programs and assistance that, that will help, that will um, correct the systems that are uh, contributing to that harm. And they, they want a king who knows that every person, um, like let's just even address the criminal justice system. They want a king who, who not only affirms that every unborn person has dignity, but, but every person in the criminal justice system has dignity. These aren't just, it's not just trash that we throw away and, and put behind locked bars and think, you know, oh, oh good, you know, our, our streets are, are safe now. Like, the more people we can get in the jails, the better. Like, um, Brian Stevenson wrote Just Mercy, fantastic book, and, and there was a movie that came out uh, a couple of years back, too, about it. But he's got a line in there that says, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Every single person in Middle River Correctional Center, every single person at Sussex One, including our brother John Miller, is more than the worst thing they've ever done. I'm more than the worst thing I've ever done, and you're more than the worst thing you've ever done. And so we want a king who's going to affirm that, yeah, people are more than the worst thing they've ever done. We're not going to write anybody off, et cetera. So anyway, just that sampling of, of Proverbs and rulers uh, lets us know that like, like, there's different um, things that a king should be doing. And our, our temptation, our, our tendency, because we're finite, is we latch onto one or a couple of those and we go, that's, that's a biblical king. That's the king that I want. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we forget that there's other things too that a biblical king should be doing. And, and we just get our blinders on and we forget. Wait, you know, wait, no, no, no. It's a much bigger vision of what a biblical king should be doing. We tend to assume that the king we want is the right king that, that everybody should have, the king that I want. And this is because we, we think that what we want is, is right for, for everybody else, right? I mean, why wouldn't everybody else want what I want? We think what we want is right for everybody because that 
is because we assume that we are right all the time. That's not how the Bible instructs us to view ourselves. Um, Proverbs 18, another proverb for you, says that the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. It says, why don't you look at it from this perspective? And you go, oh, yeah, there's merit to that. Oh, I didn't see that. You know, and our vision broadens. We can start appreciating more of, of, of the king that reflects the, the whole counsel of God. So that's the king that we want. How about the king that we get? No matter who's in the Oval Office, no matter who gets elected, that ruler will always, in some ways, be a disappointment. The king that we get will always, in some ways, be a disappointment, whether you know, it's a red king or a blue king or a purple king, will always, in some ways, be a disappointment because he or she will never check all our boxes, nor should we expect our rulers to check all our boxes. You know, I mean, maybe in some ways that's a good thing because who says all our boxes are good boxes? Can't, doesn't the doctrine of you know, our fallenness and our limits, our finiteness, doesn't that teach us that maybe some of our boxes are, are flawed? Shouldn't we have a healthy suspicion of you know, everything that I think is right? So on the one hand, the king that we get will always in some ways be a disappointment, and the corollary is true too, that the king that we get will always and in some ways be a blessing. He or she will always get some things right. Why? Romans 13. There's, there's a, a sovereign administration over our administration. And to quote another proverb, not in the Proverbs, but a proverb, sometimes even a blind squirrel finds a nut. They're always going to get something right, Okay. So we never get a perfect ruler, but, but every election cycle should not pose this, this binary conundrum, this threat that we, we feel, that we sense between our country's salvation or our country's ruin. That's foolishness. It's not biblical. Every election does not pose this, this binary threat between our country's salvation and our country's ruin. Can't we, we just need to dial down the drama. That uh, article from the Pew Research Center was saying eight out of ten you know, voters thought that the other uh, party was you know, against America's core values. Well, nine out of ten, again, in both camps, worried that a victory by the other would lead to, quote, lasting harm to the United States. Lasting harm. Like, let's just elevate the stakes so high and create the red herring of the other party or the blue herring of the other party that's going to lead to our country's ruin. Is, is that wise? Is that what the Proverbs are telling us? Like Proverbs 29 says that many seek the face of a ruler, meaning like, that ruler's my hope but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Or Psalm 146, do 
don't put your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation, right? So I've probably stepped on some toes already. I understand. Bear with me. I'm, this pulpit's not inerrant, okay? We, we pray, Lord, speak what you want to say and help people forget what wasn't from you, all right? There's going to be stuff in the sermon that I hope you'll forget. Um, but let me, let me kind of use this moment, and um, we'll, we'll wrap up after this. But a week and a half ago, I, I sent out a Dear Saints in, in addition to the announcements. And, and I got some feedback. A lot of times I, I do get some feedback, and uh, people say, yeah, I appreciate what you wrote, or that was, that was fun. Uh, two weeks ago, the feedback wasn't all that great. <laughs> Because I know that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a sore nerve. I was talking, if you didn't read it, uh, I was just r- talking about the, the Capitol building riots. Uh, and for the record, I just, uh, my intention was to, to condemn the violence that exploded uh, at the Capitol building and to condemn, like, the fear-mongering and to call out the lies that were in- instigating all that stuff, so... Those, are, those issues to me are moral issues, not political ones, but it's happening in the, the political sphere, I, I understand. And I'm grateful, honestly, to those of you who contacted me directly, that that's the way it should be if we're having a disagreement or if you want clarification, not to go on Facebook, hey, you'll never guess what lunacy my pastor posted, <laughs> you know, right? So that's how Matthew 18 works. Go to the person that you've got, you know, a concern with. So thank you for that. Um, and I understand that maybe you thought, uh, in, uh, apart from disagreeing or agreeing with maybe even what I said, but like fundamentally, should the pastor be talking about politics? I mean, A, I was trying to address something I thought was more, a moral question, not a political question, but but it's in the political sphere, and here we are having a sermon about, you know, political wisdom. Should, should we be having this sermon? Is this right in the church? I get it. Like, the church and state are supposed to be separate. That works politically. But I want to just ask you about um, if you can apply the separation of church and state to Jesus. Like, remember, um, he's with the disciples, and somebody comes up, and they're talking about Herod, and Herod wants to kill you, and it's in Luke Luke 13, you can look it up. It's sort of this passage we don't talk about much. It's not a, it's not a VBS kind of, kind of passage. You know, but Jesus calls Herod a fox. You go tell that fox, you know, and, and Jesus has some words for Herod. Critical words about the ruler in power. Telling the truth. In the, in the face of, you know, what wasn't true. So, the Proverbs tell us to acknowledge the Lord, to know Him better in, in all of our ways. You know, we talked about money, and here we're talking about politics. We need to acknowledge the Lord and how we think politically, how we act politically. And I, I, I completely agree with those who say it is not proper for a pastor to endorse a political candidate. That is not what this pulpit is about. This pulpit exists to endorse the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to all nations, not a particular, you know, candidate or whatever. But that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we don't need to learn how to think and be wise as 
subjects of the kingdom of God, how do we live as citizens in our own nation? And that's inevitably going to rub up against political topics. But we need to be wise about this, right? Like we want to, we want to um, be men and women who stand up for, for God and country, not for country and God, like little g God. So what does that look like and how do we get there? Like we've got to avoid the foolishness um, foolishness that has beguiled the, the, the evangelical community, 80% of the evangelical community, into thinking that it's wrong to not vote Republican. As if Jesus only ever voted Republican. As if the Republican candidate has Jesus' endorsement all the time. That's foolishness. The kingdom of God is not Republican. The kingdom of God is not Democratic. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God, and we're different. We're, we're a third way. The, the church is not red or blue. It's, it's kind of purple. So as we learn how to be wise politically, we need to remember that the kingdom of God is bigger than either party, that neither party has the endorsement of Jesus. So because that Jesus is the king that we need. We're not to put our trust in princes, the son of man, you know, that's lowercase m. But we're to put our trust in the son of God. He's the king that we need. Um, America's, I know, under this new administration, the Biden administration, but the church is not. We're still under the administration of Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. That will never change. There will never be what, you know, we've been talking about for months, this transition of power. There will never, ever be a transition of power in the kingdom of God. Jesus will always eternally be on his throne, and we have such great comfort in that. We can relax. We can dial down the drama. We can take a deep breath and tell our neighbors and our friends, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We have the King of kings and Lord of lords on the throne. We have the author of, of life on the throne. We have the Lord of glory on the throne. We have the mighty God and wonderful counselor on the throne. We have the Prince of Peace on the throne, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We can take a deep breath. So the Proverbs has a lot to say about, you know, politics, about wise government and foolish government, good government and bad government. And it points us to our need for our true king. The, the only wise God is... Paul describes him in Romans 16. The only wise God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus is never going to disappoint us. And in, in, in his administration, we'll never go, oh, shoot. He will always bless us. He will always be leading and guiding his kingdom for good. He has no flaws. He has no limits. He has no inconsistencies. He's righteous and good in all his ways. And now I want you to compare the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord of glory to us. <laughs> and our finiteness and our fallenness. Proverbs 20. It says, who can say, I have made my heart pure? Who can say, I am clean from my sin? I am finite and I am fallen. Brian Stevenson, again, you know, the guy who was saying we are, we are more than the worst thing we've ever done. 
He says, we're all broken by something. We all have hurt someone and have been hurt. We all share the condition of brokenness, even if our brokenness is not equivalent to those who are in the criminal justice system, who he writes about. Just Mercy actually is writing about a bunch of his clients who are on death row, wrongly convicted and wrongly sentenced to death and wrongly put to death in a lot of cases. And he continues, says, we've become so fearful and so vengeful that we've thrown away children, discarded the disabled, and sanctioned the imprisonment of the sick and the weak, not because they are a threat to public safety or beyond rehabilitation, but because we think it makes us seem tough, less broken. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from sin. Proverbs 16 says, A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Don't we want the favor of the king of kings? We, we, we hear the king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. How can a guilty person appease the wrath of the righteous king? Like his anger for our sin and our, you know, throwing away other people and hurting other people so that we don't have to appear broken, so that I can feel self-righteous. How do we appease that wrath? We can't. I can't. And you can't. I can't appease the wrath of the king. But the good news is I don't have to. The good news is you don't have to because he's done it already. He, he has appeased his own anger for our sin, for our brokenness, for our fallenness that, you know, because we don't want to acknowledge, we, we emphasize and highlight the brokenness of others foolishly. And he's, he's made this appeal, this appeasement for us. We are guilty before the king, but he's provided the pardon to all who, who turn from our foolishness, who all, you know, to all who turn from our finiteness and our fallenness in repentance and in faith and in love for, to, the, to the king who's appeased his own wrath, his own anger for our sin. Romans 3 says there's no distinction, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. I know it's a big $5 church word, and, and it just simply means the king is appeased because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus took our sin away. He took our place. He took our condemnation. He took our guilt. He took our shame. He took our foolishness on himself so that we who turn from our foolishness and trust him and love him and serve him, we're forgiven. You're forgiven. I'm forgiven. And we're in his kingdom now, his administration. We've got the hope of his favor like the spring rain. We get to, we get to have the sanity of the kingdom of God release us from the anxiety of this world and this country that thinks that every four years the sky is going to fall, depending on who's in office. 
And we can relax and take a deep breath in the kingdom of God because we have the King of kings and Lord of lords who is always on his throne. There will never be that transition of power. We need the wisdom of King Jesus. The church is not a political party. The church is the manifestation on earth of the kingdom of God. For better or worse, you know, sometimes it's brighter and sometimes it's pretty dim. But that's what the church is. We're a third way. It's not red, it's not blue. We're a third way. So we, Jesus is calling us in his wisdom, he's calling us back to him to come, come away from our, our petty political divisions into a united body of Christ. And he's calling us away from the social media mudslinging and the conspiracy theories and into the beloved family of God. He's calling us away from demanding our rights so that we might be able to love and serve our neighbors. And he's calling us away from elevating the American dream over embracing the kingdom of God. So let me close, you, close with Paul's vision for what the church is as opposed to the division in the United States, even the division in the body of Christ, here's, here's the vision for the body of Christ from Ephesians 2. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man out of the two. A new humanity. So making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let's pray. where we do confess our foolishness, our finiteness to you. And we pray that you would bless us with your wisdom, that you would bless us with your favor like the spring rains coming and replenishing the ground and making what was just arid and dusty, lifeless into a well-watered garden. We pray that your church would uh, would be a vision of that well-watered garden to the world, even to our country. We pray that your people might, might demonstrate to our neighbors and to our nation and ultimately to all nations the, the unity that your kingdom provides. That, that the, the king, whoever is ruling us, is only in, in a finite way a reflection of your glory. But your glory is the one that captivates us and your glory is the one that gives us hope no matter who's in the Oval Office. So please help us to love each other. Help us be patient with one another. Help us to listen to one another. Help us to, uh, to honor one another. And in so doing, uh, to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.